0: Hi, this is Varun Haran, Associate Editor with Information Security Media Group. I have the pleasure of speaking with Steve Riley, who's Research Director with Gartner. And we're going to be speaking a bit about the cloud security trends in 2016. He's also going to be sharing some recommendations for practitioners on how they can secure their cloud strategies in 2016. Hi, Steve. Thanks for joining me.
1: Good to be here. Thank you.
0: Steve, first question, of course, is cloud security trends in 2016. What are the key highlights? What is happening in the cloud space in 2016?
1: I think one of the most interesting things that we've observed, and it's been more than just 2016, but maybe over the past two or three years, is a move away from is the cloud secure and a move more toward how do I do things? things in the cloud securely. Mm. As we've seen from the tier one cloud providers and ability to create infrastructures that are highly resilient and resistant against attack, we just don't hear about things like Amazon or Microsoft being brought down. Customers are beginning to have a better appreciation for the fact that these cloud providers are taking security as part of their business model. They're financially motivated to build services that are uh, trustworthy and can be in many cases more secure than what most enterprises can do on premises. Right. As we see a greater recognition of this, then the conversation shifts more toward what do I need to do to make sure that the workloads I put in cloud uh, benefit from the security protections that the cloud provider itself is already offering.
0: So what you're saying is now cloud is matured to such an extent that security is now an inherent part of that discussion. In spite of that, you find that practitioners have a lot of concerns yes. when they move into the cloud and they have a lot of things that they're not able to do what they previously could do with an on prem kind of a setup. Mm-hmm. So what are some of these key challenges and recurrent themes that you keep hearing when you speak to business leaders?
1: In one case, what I'm still seeing occasionally is a failure to fully understand what we call the shared responsibility model. Yeah. There's a whole stack of elements that go into IT from physical servers to physical network to the host operating system and then the hypervisor of the virtual network, virtual operating system, applications, data, and users. Let's just imagine that. right? I even wrote a note about this called staying secure in the cloud as a shared responsibility. In the IaaS, PaaS, and SaaS worlds, there are handoff points in this stack from where the provider's responsibility for security ends and the customer's responsibility begins. In the case of IaaS, for example, that handoff point is just at the hypervisor. And I had thought, having worked for both Microsoft and Amazon before I came to Gartner, that the shared responsibility model was probably pretty well understood. But it turns out that we need to do more about raising awareness of this. And so I wrote that note, and I have this con Conversation with clients on a regular basis, you can move a workload into Azure or Amazon. Amazon will take care of certain security things. For example, you no longer need to worry about denial of service attacks because the cloud scales so greatly that they simply can absorb it. But you still need to think about how do you secure the health of your virtual machines? How do you ensure that you've got good access controls around the data? Um, what does your identity and access management strategy look like for the people? In fact, the most important piece of guidance I could give to anyone moving to cloud, regardless. Regardless of whether it's IaaS, PaaS, or SaaS, get your identity and access management strategy right first. Mm-hmm. Look at role-based access control methods. Be sure that you have the principle of least privilege used. Don't use the root account for everything because that is a powerful account and if it gets compromised, it can damage your entire cloud deployment. It's mm-hmm. so a very important. Maybe they seem fundamental practices, but in the cloud, they remain necessary for you to ensure that you're taking care of your part of the shared responsibility model.
0: Our practice is really wanting shared responsibility. Mm -hmm. Do you think that comes with part of the understanding when they go into the cloud that, you know, I'm turning everything over to you guys?
1: Well, that was a misunderstanding that I actually encountered. I had heard on a number of calls with clients, hey, if I take this application, it has some security problems. If I put it in Amazon Web Services, well, their infrastructure is already secure, so they'll take care of the security of the application as well, right? That's actually not correct. Um, If the application has SQL injection vulnerabilities now, it will still have those SQL injection vulnerabilities when it's on a public-facing Amazon Web Services instance. You need to be sure to do the right things for application security, look at some testing tools, maybe some cloud-based testing tools like from Veracode, so that developers can write secure software from the very beginning and then deploy that into cloud.
0: But does cloud give them the advantage of having a more robust incident response kind of a posture rather than if they were hosting all these applications on their own infrastructure? it's stand to reason that an Amazon or an Azure might be able to Mm -hmm. detect these kind of activities or some attack happening and, you know, immediate.
1: Well, they're not going to detect attacks or uh, malicious behavior that's in the context of your own tenant or subscription. That still is part of what falls under your aspect of the shared responsibility model. Of course, they're protecting their own infrastructure from attack. You would never see that because it's happening at a lower level than how you interface with these cloud providers. What happens in many cases is that a move to an infrastructure cloud requires adopting a different set of tools and practices than what most organizations might have used on-premises. There's there's a whole collection of things that people would look at when they're building their own data center. There's firewalls, there's intrusion protection, there's reverse proxies. These things become unnecessary to one degree or another in an IaaS cloud. Let's talk about firewalls to start with. When you instantiate a virtual machine in Amazon Web Services or Azure, you are required to associate that with something called a security group, which contains a list of firewall rules. This is not an option. You, You can't skip this step. So you get built-in basic firewalling from the cloud provider as part of the fabric of the service. You don't really need to look at third-party firewall instances in that case. For intrusion detection or prevention, this is an area where there's a bit of a difference now. Amazon has a thing called VPC Flow Log, which creates NetFlow-like records that you can export into your favorite SEM tool, and you can understand what traffic is being allowed and blocked. There's no Azure equivalent for that now, so you still need to maybe put a virtual IDS or IPS in your deployment there. In fact, this idea of cloud providers becoming security providers, this is an actual thing that's happening in the US and the cloud providers are adding more and more security features to varying degrees of capability, right? Should you use them or not remains a no question depending on the feature you're talking about. But over time, we'll expect to see more and more of cloud customers becoming comfortable with and taking advantage of those native features in cloud.
0: With these guys becoming native security services providers, do you really think that they can do better than what the- security vendors out there are doing right now given it's not their core business expertise right?
1: yeah that I'd have to say that depends on the particular security control that we have under consideration okay. my earlier example of not needing dedicated firewall instances because you have network security groups in cloud even our most security conscious clients are comfortable with that so I believe that the IaaS providers have developed the appropriate core competency for traffic filtering in and out of instances in virtual <laughs> networks some of the more sophisticated trolls which often mean, we're now switching the conversation to SaaS. Uh, In some cases, these don't match up right now with what enterprises might be accustomed to. So in a SaaS offering, uh, you might have a DLP or a rights management tool of some sort that's built into the service. In our conversations with clients, we've learned that these aren't very effective. They're basic. They often increase uh, or they they involve uh, performance penalties, um, or they simply don't provide the level of granular control that customers are expected to use. So for SaaS, we see a very huge interest in a category of products that we call cloud access security brokers. Right. This is the best way to think about CASB, is that it allows you to bring back some governance over data that still belongs to you, but is no longer stored in your own system. Now, that's a really important point, so I'd like to say that again in a slightly different way. All of the security goo that organizations have been buying in the course of IT history has been targeting the systems they own, and by extension, the data that's stored on those systems. With SaaS, the protection target is different. It's even a philosophical difference, if you might want to think about that. While the data still belongs to you, the systems no longer do. How do you take something like a firewall or a secure Web Gateway that have been constructed around the notion of protecting your own systems and use them when the systems don't belong to you anymore? They, they just don't work. So the emergence of this new category of product, Cloud Access Security Brokers, have been designed for this new protection target, this new philosophical Philosophical approach of allowing you to have visibility into policy over and governance over your own data stored on somebody else's computers.
0: But do you think with the consolidation that's been happening in the security market the last couple of years and now with cloud providers also moving into the security space, would it be fair to say that at some point you can see these Casby kind of services being subsumed into this whole cloud security trend? <laughs>
1: it's interesting you asked that question. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had an internal debate among several researchers in Gartner, it's somewhat related to what you just asked the topic for debate was will Casbys remain a standalone product or will they be subsumed as a feature of other traditional enterprise security tools mm-hmm. and those of us who are more of the believers of the it'll remain a standalone uh, product which I'm part of that camp we, we strongly made this uh, argument about the idea of different protection targets different philosophical approaches and, and I feel like we ended up um, kind of winning that debate uh, maybe the other side wasn't as well prepared, not quite sure, but uh, we we came out of this exercise with the understanding that, yes, there there is something different here. There is a new market. There are new buyers, which is another interesting observation that we've made. The buyers of SaaS aren't necessarily IT. It's often business units or departments. And we are now having conversations with these business units and departments around SaaS security. So there's an opportunity for CASB vendors to expand their the people that they can sell to by reaching out to business units who are procuring SaaS and then can procure the the CASB as well. Okay. So our position is, for at least the next three to five years, this is going to be a very rich and active standalone market. Okay.
0: But it's interesting you say that the business units would be interested in buying CASB. Wouldn't CASB be more of the province of the IT security function, trying to control that shadow IT? You'd think it would be, right? And if the, if the reason for acquiring the CASB
1: is shadow IT, that's definitely an IT buy. On the other hand, if the reason for buying the CASB is the business unit subscribing to multiple SaaS applications coming to the conclusion that there's no way using the native controls. They can have consistent governance and policy across all of their SaaS scape. Right. Then they approach the CASB buying decision not from an IT discovery standpoint, but from a, a, a policy enforcement standpoint.
0: Okay. Last couple of questions. One, of course, is, you know, what are some recommendations you can share with the practitioner community on how they can improve their security on how they can plan for a more secure cloud strategy in the coming year?
1: Well, I would like to repeat something I mentioned earlier, and that is that I think a sound identity and access management strategy is absolutely the way to start. And then perhaps the next thing to think about is what kinds of data protection do I need? Is it necessary for me to encrypt data? Should I encrypt only a portion of it? Should I encrypt everything? I can't answer the question because that's often governed by internal policies or regulations. But how will you encrypt the data? How will you manage the keys? We are seeing some key management capabilities come coming from the cloud providers now. And it's not that much of a stretch of imagination to think that if the cloud providers are giving us as good as or better security than what we get on-premises, could they also give us as good as or better key management than what we're able to do? So that would be my second recommendation. My third recommendation would be move away from the traditional practices of patching applications and operating systems. Servers in IaaS clouds are no longer these things that you tend with great care and love. You don't put your arms around them. A server is, it was a line in a script. In the case of AWS, it's EC2 run instance. Instances are disposable horsepower. So instead, think about infrastructure and operations staff moving away from taking care of boxes to learning a little bit of code. They're going to need to learn PowerShell or Python. And resources in clouds come from build scripts now. Need a new server? Run the build script that pulls down the image from the cloud provider, starts it up, it'll already have all the patches installed, install the application, update the application as necessary, integrate it into the rest of the delivery environment, and then put it into production. So that's going to take a change in skill set, in understanding what it is that the value that you can bring to an organization. It's not about boxes. It's about infrastructure as code. And how can you as an infrastructure and operations professional contribute to that? Those are the three I'd say. Good IAM, understanding where to use encryption, and really getting your brain wrapped around the idea of infrastructure is now code and how can you adapt your practices and patterns to match that.
0: You know, in the next six months to a year or so, if you can talk about some developments in cloud security that you're seeing or that you look forward to, I don't think I'm going to answer that question. I, I don't <laughs> think that far in the future. I'm sorry. Now, what I mean is in terms of any innovation that's happening that you're really excited about. For example, a lot of people now talking in the security space about automation.
1: Automation. And that's
0: already happened in what you spoke about just a while back, right? So
1: yeah, okay. So let's let's go ahead and answer this question. Though. So what I'm looking forward to seeing in the next six to twelve months is the combined of security with DevOps. I'm sure that many of your listeners are familiar with DevOps. The DevOps succeeded because it aligned the incentives of two groups who formerly didn't want to have anything to do with each other. And now there's rapid iteration and fast pushing of code. What does that mean to the security guys? When Jenkins is pushing new versions of the application to the public web a 100 times a week, how does the security? How does the security team feel like it can remain relevant anymore? So the emergence of DevSecOps is something that really excites me, right. and it excites me in two dimensions. One is that it allows us to now bring security as a measure of code quality. Developers love high-quality code. I want it to be compact, efficient, lightweight use of resources, and run really, really fast. Oh, and not have bugs. What is a security vulnerability other than a kind of bug? So if there was a way for the developer to, write inside the IDE, compose a few lines of code, press a button, send it off somewhere for some testing, and get the results back, that's good feedback for the developer. It teaches them secure development principles right in the beginning, and it's much easier to fix those kinds of bugs in the beginning than at the end. That's one aspect of DevSecOps. The other aspect of DevSecOps is that we can help security teams use some of these DevOps tools and improve their own velocity. Because when it comes to security, there are philosophical changes that have to take place. And in DevSecOps, security is much less about a huge body of controls that are imposed on an organization and become much more about rapid monitoring and rapid response when things go wrong. That's using DevOps tools to be able to respond quickly to security incidents and having a good monitoring paradigm where you know everything that's happening and whenever changes are pushed to production, for example, make sure that's only Jenkins doing that and not the developer logging onto the server directly, right? That really doesn't happen much, but it's a good thing to maybe monitor anyway.
0: Thanks so much, Steve.
1: All right. Thanks very much. Good to be with you.
0: That was Steve Riley, who is a research director with Gartner. For ISMG in Asia, this is Varun Haran. Thanks for listening.